0: You're listening to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Today is Valentine's Day, or so I'm told, also known as February 14th, 2022, Also, episode 328 of this podcast. Yesterday, as red-blooded Americans know, and as some red-blooded Americans do not know or did not know, was the Super Bowl. Last night, yesterday, was the Super Bowl in America. The Cincinnati Bengals, I'm as shocked as anybody, made it to the Super Bowl. Yes, I said that. Yes, you heard that right. The Cincinnati Bengals made it to the Super Bowl. I found out about it yesterday morning after church. Liam Polk very kindly informed me. Uh, Otherwise, I wouldn't have known. I didn't even know that the game was on until Lucas Abernathy asked me if I was planning on watching the Super Bowl. I said, oh, is that today, I guess? Yes. Yes, it is, Garrett. Okay. Well, that might answer your question. Uh, We don't really watch football. That is to say, we don't watch football. One big exception is we will watch the Super Bowl. Usually, not every year. If we don't catch it, that's fine. But in my view, it is a cultural moment. It is not just a game. It is a cultural moment. I'm not that into football, but I am into American culture and understanding where we're at and where are we going? And you see, during the Super Bowl, America on display, at least as the corporations who can afford $7 million for a 30-second commercial see America, at least as the NFL sees America, at least as NBC, in this case, sees America. Who is invited to perform? Who is In attendance, who gets camera time, what the bios are, what details are interesting or are supposed to be interesting about whom, whose story is compelling, what is the team's story, what are the players' stories, what are the coaches' stories. All of that is a cross section of Americana for better or for worse. And I'll admit, not watching the rest of the year. My children, not all of them, wanted to have anything to do with it. My children, several of them, were like, do we have to watch this? I'm like, no, you don't have to watch this, but I really want you to. I want you to because this is part of a good education on the culture that we belong to or live in or are native to. This is our culture. And so we should understand it. We should study it. We should pay attention to what is happening in it. And ideally, we will help to shape culture. We won't be taking a passive role. We will be taking an active role. We will not just be eating whatever is fed to us, particularly if it's gruel. We will be hopefully helping to create something or remind people of things created in the marketplace of ideas. Just like I do on this podcast, just like I'm doing in writing books, I want my children to be creating a meaningful contribution to the conversation. So, what did we make of the Super Bowl? Well, for starters, I did not hear the national anthem But I did hear at the beginning what is being commonly referred to as the Black National Anthem. And J.P. Chavez, he listens to this podcast. I don't know. Roy Garcia, do you listen to my podcast? You should listen to my podcast. If you don't, shame on you. But maybe Roy does listen, in which case, good job, Roy. Uh, J.P. and Roy tell me that I am an honorary Latino and I am honored to be an honorary Latino, I will henceforth go by Gareto. You can refer to me as El Gareto if you please. Uh, but it's probably going to be more like Nacho Libre. Just telling you. Just letting you know on the front end. But I <laughs> I definitely texted the three amigos on Signal, while the music was playing before the game. And I asked them, I said, is this the Black National Anthem? Are we listening to the Black National Anthem right now? I think that's what that is. I I looked it up while I was waiting for a response from them. And sure enough, I'm reading the lyrics as the song is being sung by Mary Mary. And I didn't hear anything objectionable in the lyrics. I didn't. I'm not offended by the song itself, but I do really feel uncomfortable with the idea that we are on display for the whole world, not just our own country, but for the whole world to see that we are the divided states of America. Might as well just change our acronym to the DSA because we are not united when you have one national anthem for one group one ethnic group of citizens and a separate national anthem for everybody else. And I joked. I joked. I was I really do hope, JP Roy, I hope you're not offended. I I said it in joking and I was like, I was sure you guys were gonna laugh and think it was funny. And then I thought about it after I sent it and I'm like, oh man, I hope that I hope I don't offend them in saying that. Totally joking. But I I definitely messaged Mr. Garcia and Mr. Chavez. And I asked, so when are you guys going to get your own national anthem? Because <laughs> they're Latino. Uh, Hispanic. I, what's the correct term? Is that Latino? Hispanic? I I don't know. I, I'm obviously not an expert. Uh, but I don't think they were offended. I am not offended, but I am concerned. I... I think that's the way to put it. And if some wokester out there wants to cancel me for being insensitive or for my white fragility or whatever, just hear me out for a second. Why? Why does each ethnic group, if we are the United States of America, why does each ethnic group need its own separate national anthem? Riddle me that. Why is that a benefit to any of us, much less all of us, I contend it is not a benefit to any of us, including the black folk who get their very own national anthem. It feels to me as though either, A, the statement implied by having a black national anthem as opposed to the regular standard official national anthem, the the implication is either the official national anthem is not good enough for black folks or the black folks aren't good enough for the official national anthem. Now, you got to be careful there because this is just the trap. This is exactly the problem with what the left likes to do with identity politics, with grouping people based on their skin color in the name of anti-racism, counterintuitively enough, grouping people based on their gender, in the name of anti-sexism because that makes sense, of course. Uh, Grouping people based on their socioeconomic status in the name of equality because that's how that works, right? You separate people out based on class and that will level the playing field. Hmm. I'll take your word for it. But there are plenty of black Americans who love America and they love the official national anthem because that's part of our national identity. We think of ourselves as Americans. My ancestors may have come here from Switzerland on my dad's side, from Scotland on my mother's mother's side in particular. I don't know so much about my mother's father's side because I just can't seem to trace very far back. I think they might have come from France. So that same general area, Scotland and France and Switzerland, something like that. But at least Switzerland and Scotland that I've been able to really, really drill down on with genealogies. My ancestors came from Scotland and Switzerland, for instance. I am not Swiss. I am not a Scotsman. I like to identify myself a little bit with those two countries, because I think it's important where we come from. But I am an American. I am an American. This is where I am. This is where I belong. Now, yes, the Christian will say, this earth is not our home. But Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah says in the Old Testament, but seek the welfare of the city to which Yahweh your God has brought you in your exile. And in my case, in your case, many of you, not all of you. There's plenty of international listeners. But in my case, in your case, if you're an American, that means America. And it is right and proper for us to love our country and to want to see it whole and to remember well Abraham Lincoln quoting Jesus that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And to worry that a house divided against itself is supposed to fall. And that's part of why these divisions are exacerbated and emphasized. It's like when you're splitting logs and you get a crack started and then you put this wedge piece in and that wedge piece is called a splitter. And you drive that in and that's what actually splits the log into. That's what the Black National Anthem feels like to me. I don't feel like that's an acceptable compromise. It's not a compromise at all. It's a doubling down. It is basically normalizing deviance. And by deviance, I mean a deviation. Normalization of deviance is a psychological concept by which until we see a catastrophe coming from the warning signs, we don't take the warning signs seriously. We say, oh, well, nothing bad has happened yet. Carry on. Now, imagine with me if we go to war with China in the coming weeks, which is possible, it's very possible. They go for Taiwan, Russia goes for Ukraine. I think they're both going to make a play at the exact same time. Good luck to us catching them both, even with NATO, for whatever NATO's worth. We could find ourselves in World War III. It could be a very messy, ugly affair. And supposing we do find ourselves in World War III here, can we afford to be divided? Can we afford to be fighting amongst ourselves? Can we afford to have two separate Americas? If we are going to go that route, then maybe we should just go the whole way, right? Enough with the pretense. Let's have a national divorce. But what would be better still than a national divorce would be for us to stop being so hateful towards our country and towards one another. Is that so much to ask? Is that so much to ask that we would put away the bitterness and the resentment? That bitterness and that anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. That's what James says. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And yet what we find instead is that political opportunists have tried to stoke anger, they want to increase the anger, I think precisely because the righteousness that God desires would be bad for business, because of the business that they're engaged in, but aside from the Black National Anthem, which I think is a, it's a bad call, it's a bad choice, And then everybody stands for that, and everybody puts their hand on their heart for that one. Meanwhile, if you dared to stand and put your hand over your heart for the official one, you were a racist. This is how they get you. This is how they run the experiment. Everybody who still loves America as it was founded is a racist. Vote for me. Aside from the national anthem business, I noticed a really, really odd, odd, Feature, And I doubt anybody else is going to pick up on this. And I doubt that this is going to be the headline in any respectable organization. But since this podcast is not a respectable organization, I can say it. I kid. If you watched the Super Bowl, I would love to hear from you. I would, I would love to hear an actual answer to this question. Message me privately. Hit me up on social media. Send an audio message in to this podcast using uh, Anchor FM. I want to hear from you. Did you notice anything odd about the commercials? And I'll give you a hint, or I'll share with you what I think I noticed. I noticed two major features of the commercials this year. One is that there were hardly any white people in the commercials. Now, I'm not saying there weren't any white people. Seth Rogen showed up a couple of times. There was one really weird commercial with him and Paul Rudd. Seems like there was a keen desire for celebrities from the 2000s The 1990s had to bring those guys back. Everybody else is afraid of getting canceled, maybe. I don't know. But we don't make celebrities anymore, maybe. So you got to just reuse the old ones for commercials. Also, on that note, NBC is doing a dramatized remake of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Will Smith is going to make it seem really lighthearted and fun, but... What they showed in the way of clips from this dramatized version of The Fresh Prince, it doesn't really look lighthearted and fun. It looks pretty intense. It looks like the kind of take on all of that you would expect in the 2020s. But there were hardly any white people, as it seemed to me. It's like, okay, now that we've done the Black National Anthem... We also need every commercial to prominently feature black faces, black black voices. And I, I don't fully understand why that is necessary. It doesn't look like America. It doesn't look like America. I mean, the NFL already doesn't quite look like America. You don't have a rigid quota system, affirmative action style for white, black, red, brown, yellow people in the NFL, nor do I wish that we did have one. But the commercials, uh, I I just noticed a, a distinct difference in the color palette. And that's odd to me. Um, I don't mind there being a lot of commercials featuring black faces and black voices Idris Alba did a very funny, cool commercial, for instance, for Booking.com, I think is what it was. Idris Alba, very cool actor, extremely cool actor. Cool voice, super cool accent and voice. Morgan Freeman did a commercial for Turkish Airlines. It's like, oh, okay, well, (sighs) so much for American Airlines, I guess the big idea here is international. International, transnational, global, and what we want America to look like moving forward. But aside from that, and there, don't get me wrong, there were some beautiful black people in commercials, but there were just a lot of very weird-looking people, and I, I feel like you know I'm going to be accused of being mean, but I've watched the Super Bowl for years and years and years, not every year, but it's like I only watch that one. So there's a year's space between my watching a football game. So I get these like very like small samples once a year, I'll watch the Super Bowl, and so it's like it stands out if I miss a year. I don't think we watched in 2021. But if I miss a year, it's like, wow, man, like that's way different than it was two years ago or 10 years ago or when I was a kid. But it seems to me as though, with as expensive as the commercials have been, every corporation who buys advertising during the Super Bowl is trying to make their commercial memorable by making it smart or funny, or clever, or just weird, or sexy, or cool, or some combination of all the above. But it's very often that, and and by very often, I mean like every Super Bowl I have ever watched, has beautiful people in at least a high percentage of the commercials. Not every commercial, but a high percentage. You will see supermodels or actresses or just generally beautiful people showing up to try and sell whatever, Doritos or sports car or whatever. And this year, for the first time in my life, I cannot recall having seen a single commercial which featured a beautiful person, unless that person was black. that's, That's the exception and even there it's like they they really didn't they didn't go beautiful. And and what I'm curious about with this and I'm not complaining and I'm not trying to say like oh it's the end of the world or whatever, you know. Only ugly people in the Super Bowl commercials. My life is over. No. But but I think it's curious. I think it's odd and I don't quite know what to make of it. I have a couple of speculative theories the morning after. One is that through COVID and us all being locked down in our houses and stressed out and maybe unkempt because we've been working from home, a lot of us, we are just generally speaking not as beautiful as we were three years ago. We, the people, are not as beautiful as we were. Now, maybe I just happen to be fortunate and I know a lot of people that I think, like, hey, these are beautiful people. Maybe I'm biased because... I think my family's good-looking. I look at my children and I think, wow, beautiful faces. I look at my wife I think, oh, she's got a beautiful face. I look in the mirror and occasionally I think, oh, you know, I don't look so bad. But I'm watching these Super Bowl commercials and I'm thinking like, man, there's just some weird-looking people that they chose to feature in commercial after commercial after commercial this year. There's just some ugly people that they chose to feature prominently. And... As I'm talking about this with my family, with my kids, my wife, my dad stopped in, so he watched the first half of the Super Bowl with us. And I'm talking with him, and it's like, is this like the next phase of body beautiful? Is face beautiful too? You know, it, 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 we we lost that ground, right, to where now, in order to keep from overweight people feeling embarrassed about themselves or ourselves, I've been overweight before. In order to keep from that being the case, fashion needs to be promoting diverse bodies. So we're going to go out of our way to include models who are plus sized, as they say, which is just another way of saying like, in some cases, just out and out, overweight, right? Uh, now, somebody will, will quickly say, well, hey, you know, for a lot of the past century, the trend has been towards unhealthy, skinny, underweight women. And that's created unrealistic uh, body image issues for women and girls. And I think there's reason to affirm a move away from that I think that the stick thin look is for one thing unattractive, but for another thing, it's not desirable that you would have that in your daughter's minds for instance, your wife's minds, your sister's minds, uh you know, being what they're shooting for and then they develop an eating disorder and they're starving themselves and they're you know, they hate themselves because they think they're fat. They're not necessarily fat, they're just bigger than this anorexic fashion model who will, you know, that her full-time job is to work out and eat as little as possible. But, but for the same reasons that I'm uncomfortable with the stick thin ideal, I'm also really uncomfortable with us saying that big is beautiful to where we, again, we normalize deviance. Americans being overweight, maybe there's a reason why the ideal has been more skinny, not skinny, skinny, not like underweight, but more trim, more lean, because it's healthier than we are on the whole. We could stand collectively as a people to go more in that direction. And I I think that's the tell, right? If Americans were on the whole underweight, if there were just a lot of us who were really underweight, then it would probably go the other direction. And I think, actually, if you look back 100 years to newspaper clipping uh, advertisements, you know, there, there's this, uh, this trope, and I think it has to do in part with the Great Depression and people being hungry because of shortages of things and joblessness and inflation because of printing of money, by the way, more on that. In the years to come. But when people were skinnier as a whole, actors and actresses and models and TV stars and celebrities and musicians and everybody who had a little bit more flesh on them looked healthier than the average. And yeah, they're going to become more the standard of beauty because. The public recognizes, you know, they look healthier than I feel. They look healthier than the people around me. And that's part of the subtle soft sell that Edward Bernays championed with his propaganda. He's the father of modern public relations, advertising methodology, double nephew to Sigmund Freud. He worked off the power of suggestion. So why, why would corporation after corporation after corporation simultaneously decide to put ugly people, I'm sorry, ugly people in their advertisements? Well, for one thing, it could be because they think we're ugly. And they think, well, we should find somebody relatable for these uggos out there in American society. We'll find ugly people to sell things to ugly people. And uh, yeah, that'll work. Let's just do that. Still, if that's what it is, it's a curious thing that they all seem to be on the same page all of a sudden. What's up with that? You know, there's the possibility that a lot of us feeling ugly, looking ugly, we don't want to be embarrassed About ourselves and self conscious about ourselves anymore, looking at beautiful people. We're not going to buy your product. We're going to say, oh, well, that product must not be for me because I'll never be that beautiful. That's a possibility. But there's a whole lot of directions we could go with this. For one, is beauty in the eye of the beholder? What is beauty? How do we know that this person, place, or thing is beautiful or some other person, place, or thing is ugly? Aesthetics is a branch of philosophy that I have not studied, but I do find interesting, I'd like to delve into. Escape from Reason by Francis Schaeffer explores trends in philosophy, pop, culture, philosophy, politics, theology through the lens of art history. And Francis Schaeffer basically says what we find attractive in art is a reflection of what our worldview is or what the ascendant worldview is at that point in time, at that point in history. So when art was far more realistic and detailed and the Most celebrated paintings by the most skilled artists were those that looked the most lifelike. That communicated something about the philosophy and the desire of people at that time, the desire to testify to the truth more and more and more fully. By contrast, postmodernism, postmodern art, abstract art, is a way of pushing Against kicking against the idea that there is any such thing as truth. It's a mockery of art to say, I can dip a crucifix into a jar of pee, and that's art. No, that's not art. That's ugly and gross and disrespectful, and the people who celebrate it like it because they want to feel their own ugliness affirmed their own immorality affirmed, their own folly and godlessness and impiety they want celebrated. And this becomes the symbol, the rallying cry. This becomes the banner they raise in their hearts and in their minds that emboldens them, that encourages them, that reminds them of what they hold most dear. As so also, if in our standard of beauty, we see someone who is healthy and happy and well-adjusted, who is moral and upright and virtuous, genuinely, not hypocritically, not pretending, but genuinely wholesome and decent and innocent or wise or caring or protective or bold. We might describe that as beautiful because... It's necessary to life. I think that's what it really boils down to. It's necessary to life. Let's say, for the sake of argument, we're talking about male and female standards of beauty. A woman is beautiful if she looks like this. She has these dimensions and conducts herself like so and dresses like so and treats people like so and talks like so, and spends her time like so, she's beautiful. Now think, whatever you would fill in the blank with, when I say like like so, whatever you would fill in the blank with, I contend the proper way to frame our definition of what is beautiful is conducive to life. So also for the man. You say, hey, this man is handsome, He's a good-looking man, and what we mean by that typically is not just that he has an attractive face and a good beard and full head of hair and muscles and a well-tailored suit or what have you. Typically, we will also mean that he's well-spoken, he's confident, he might drive a decent vehicle, but it shouldn't be so ostentatious that... It conveys an insecurity on his part, or a hubris. He should have a humility and a confidence about him, a gravity, and also a good sense of humor. He should care about the people around him. He should be a good leader, a good example. He should be wise, make good choices. He should be brave, willing to stand up against bad actors and threats to the people under his watch, under his care. And all of that, all of that goes into who we call handsome and good looking. And all of that, when you really boil it down, is about what characteristics of a particular man fit the role and purpose of man in such a way that is conducive to life. So also for the woman, what traits and characteristics relative to the purpose of woman that we see embodied, expressed in such a way that is conducive to life. Now, inversely, if that's true, if I'm correct, then ugliness is a feature of traits and qualities and characteristics which denote a vulnerability. A cowardly man will very rare, rarely very rarely, if ever, be called handsome. As soon as we find out he's a coward, he's no longer handsome in our eyes. A ignorant woman, she might have been the most beautiful creature on God's green earth until she said a whole lot of nonsense or was just absolutely nasty and mean and vicious. To some other woman or to a child or to an elderly person. If she conveys an ugliness in what she says. All of a sudden, she's not the most beautiful woman in the world anymore. If she's beautiful at all. If anything, that fly in the ointment. That ring in the pig's snout. (laughs) Is uh, more of a liability. Because it's tragic to see the potential squandered. So also, it's a curious thing when you see advertisement after advertisement after advertisement, commercial after commercial with ugly people, because either A, that's what the big corporations who have the money to spend think we want to see, they think that's what we want to see, maybe because that is what a lot of us want to see, which is a scary thing because it doesn't stop with commercials. Pretty soon, it's any goodness, any beauty, any decency sets people off because they covet it, and what they can't have, they want to destroy. They would would rather have half of a dead baby than the other gal get the whole live one because they're covetous, selfish, wicked, evil. It's not a pleasant place to be if you're trying to embody goodness and beauty and truth. When the society all of a sudden turns on every vestige of goodness and truth and beauty. So that's a possibility though. That is a possibility. That that's part of our cultural death. Now, another possibility is that the taste makers are trotting out ugly people because they want us to think of ourselves and our country, more to the point, along those lines. They don't want us thinking of ourselves in a very confident, self-assured way. They want us to be depressed. And And I mean depressed. They want to give a psychological depression to America, which is necessary as they see it, to America, not going back to the Make America Great Again, not taking up a mantle of leadership again, on the world stage, as we historically have, but rather deferring in all things to the global community, which the very wealthy transnational elites see themselves as belonging to first and foremost. It's not that they love ugly people. No, 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 no. Look at who they surround themselves with. Individually, it could also be a factor of that. Hey, we get the uh, we get the beautiful people. And if all of you riffraff out there get the ugly people, well, that makes us feel all the more special. If we toss you the table scraps and we keep the choicest foods for ourselves, it's just another way of extravagantly displaying their wealth and feeling superior. That's another possibility. But it is curious. What happened? What happened in the past year or two that... Would account for this sudden marked shift. And again, reach out to me if you think I'm totally imagining it. If you didn't see it, let me know. But I didn't see beautiful people in the commercials, and I'm used to seeing at least some, at least some beautiful people. <sighs> so that's all I've got for this episode. Believe it or not. Uh, no, no, actually, correction. I I, I take that back. Uh, and maybe this has been the case for a while, I just didn't pick up on it, but did anybody else notice how careful the coaches were for both the Bengals and the Rams when it came to speaking instructions into their headsets while on camera? Both head coaches for both teams would cover their mouths with their paperwork so that and here's, here's why they did it so that the other team wouldn't be able to read their lips and know what their strategy was, what their next play was going to be. And then as the game went on, I noticed they would pull the paper down for parts in a very deliberate, intentional way. Like they wanted you to see some of what they were saying, but not all. Curious thing. A lot of distrust communicated by that. So, in short, in sum, this Super Bowl, more than any other I've ever seen, aggravated the racial divide and cemented it, or at least wanted to, at least tried to, the racial divide in this country, to play on identity politics, to re-implement a kind of psychological segregation, which is not good for our country. It is not good. But this is the most divided states of America Super Bowl I've ever seen. It's also the ugliest, I'm sorry, no offense to all the people that started in commercials, but it's the ugliest... Most offbeat Super Bowl I've ever seen. And the most distrustful. There's an obvious distrust when both teams cover their faces. And Maybe that's been happening for a long time. Again, I don't watch football. Maybe I missed it, but I definitely keyed in on it this time. It seems so obvious. It's like every time you'd look at either coach or the camera would pan to them, they're covering their face as they talk weird. Oh, I forgot something. Masks. Yeah. How did I forget masks? Well, I forgot masks because nobody was wearing them. Yeah, literally nobody. Nobody had to wear masks. Not that I saw. The players, the coaches, the celebrities, the politicians, they didn't. They didn't. So apparently all of the mask mandates are lifted. I I mean, that must, must be what it is. If that's not what it is, then shame on the Democrat politicians in Los Angeles County and in California and across this country who love power and they hate their fellow man. They're willing to oppress their fellow man and even especially children. This is why we homeschool, by the way, this kind of injustice, nonsense, And the way that our schools indoctrinate children to obey it, indoctrinate their parents to submit their children to it. If we want to turn this country around, we need to get our kids out and homeschool them. Buy my book, and this is why we homeschool. Available most places where books can be bought online. But I'm going to leave it there. It's a Monday morning. I'm going to have some coffee with my wife. See what else we want to work on today, what we've got going on. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.